Before we get to Mark chapter 5, we get to do something really special in the life of our church. We are a church that's about four and a half years old, and since the inception of our church, our desire has always been to make disciples of Jesus. We specifically say say it this way, that we want to see people love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus, and that we want leaders to help uh, facilitate that process. And we've had, we've had amazing leaders over the, the course of our church in multiple ways, uh, me serving as a pastor, but also a lot of you serving in a lot of other different ways. But our desire from the beginning has always been to raise up more pastors like me, lay and staff, more, more elders in our church. And a couple weeks ago, we got to introduce to you formally candidates that are elder pastor candidates. And we, we got to meet their families and hear about the process they've gone through. And today we have the joy of celebrating them and commissioning them before God and before you. And so I'm excited. This is a big deal. And so I'm gonna invite them up. And when I invite them up, it's okay to clap. And so let's just, let's invite them up together. You guys can clap with me, all right? Good job. You can keep that up during the sermon. You can clap, you know, whatever you want to do. Participate. We love that. Uh, I want to introduce you again, in case you are new to some of these people up on this stage. Uh, first of all, this is Brad Hart right here, and his wife, Jessica Hart, and we have Bradley Hyde. You have to be a Brad, apparently, to be an elder here. Uh, Bradley Hyde and his wife, Alicia, uh, Graham Saunders, his wife, Savannah, and cute baby Winston. Yeah, you give it up for Winston, he's so cute. And uh, this is my wife, Jaya, and we have our, all of our wives up here. We have Pastor Rick Eford, who's up here as well. But uh, here's why we have the uh, wives up here, is uh, they're not going into this position formally as elders, but they do take on a lot of the sacrifice with these men. Uh, I know because I am a pastor and an elder, and I know how much my wife uh, sacrifices and is, should be and is in a place of honor in our church. And so as we thought about who do we all have come up here, we wanted to have the wives because we value them, uh, because they play a significant role, uh, not only in our church at large, all of our women do, um, the majority of our staff is women, if you didn't know that. Uh, so women play a crucial role at Phoenix Bible Church, but in particular, elder wives, in terms of sacrifice, in terms of, as we talk about leaders and the shepherd being um, attacked uh, of a church and the, and the flock scattering, that affects the wives. And that affects the kids. And so as we have a day where we celebrate and commission and pray over these men, we also need to do that over these women. And so I, I can tell you this, as a pastor who has uh, a pastor's wife, uh, our church would not exist without my wife. And that's not just like, oh yeah, kind of like he's giving it up for his wife. No, like literally, when we started this church, I was like in a fetal position laying on the floor, not one of my proudest moments. And... Um, and I was like, what are we gonna do? And my wife was like, what do you wanna do? And I was like, I wanna plant a church. And she was like, okay, let's do that. And that's the reason Phoenix Bible Church exists today is God giving her courage as my wife to sacrifice with me over the years. And so I'm so glad to have her with me and, and we wanna honor our wives, yeah. yeah. And then in addition uh, to our wives, having Pastor Rick Eford up here, some of you know who've been around, 
uh, have heard from Pastor Rick as he's preached. He has been a pastor for 40 plus years in the Valley Desert Springs Bible Church as a church that's four years old. We have taken them on. They've taken on us as an advisory church who've just kind of walked along in our process of, of building a church. A lot of details go into that. And so Rick has been gracious enough to walk closely with us uh, in lots of things, but also in particular the elder process. And so me as the only elder pastor to assess these guys and train these guys, I brought in Rick to spend time with them as well. And, um, and he's just been an invaluable part of this process. I've said it before, if you've been around, uh, when I think of a pastor, I think of Pastor Rick. Uh, he's an amazing pastor, has a heart for you. Uh, some of you, when you see him, he knows you by name and you're like, how does he do that? Uh, because he just has a pastor's heart and he's an amazing leader. And I just wanna, again, as we honor wives, as we honor these men, can we just thank him? Can we thank Pastor Rick real quick? So Rick's been a part of this process, and I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, this has been almost a year process, really uh, involving three aspects. And those aspects are training, assessment, and experience. And so we, we've had meetings with these guys over the last year uh, to do trainings. Look at the Bible. What does it say about a biblical leader? Look at books and read books about the competencies and the character of a biblical leader. And to, to talk through practicalities of that, uh, philosophical things about that, and all those things. So they've had a ton of training as well as assessment. Uh, these guys have had to fill out paperwork on their life and on their doctrine, on their family, on their sin, and on repentance, and, and all of those things, and really just be laid bare before us as, as Pastor Rick and I would meet with them and, and be able to ask them questions about those things and, and talk about potential pitfalls that they might stumble into as leaders. And so we take this really seriously. So we had, we had some assessment and that's where Pastor Rick came in as well. And then most importantly, we've had experience and they've had experience, not just over the last year. I've said this before, but one of the things I love about this day is we are commissioning men as elders who aren't about to start eldering. Uh, we're commissioning men as servant leaders who aren't about to start servant leading. Uh, they've been doing that for three, four years. And so they're going to continue to do that, do that in a greater way, but they've been serving in experiential ways to this point. And so uh, thankful for you guys for doing that. Uh, some examples, some of you have asked me, like, what does this practically mean? Like, what do they, they do? I can tell you just a few things. It's, it's anywhere from counseling couples, which a few of them are doing right now. Uh, it's anywhere from leading a community group. Uh, it's anywhere from seeing what is taking place in our church today. Um, and saying, how can we get it to where we believe God wants us to go in the future? Uh, it's anywhere from losing a, a leader in our church, our production lead who passed away several months ago, and these guys coming around me and praying for me, praying for the family, and, and leading the way and serving that family and serving our church in a really dire time. It, it's, it's the full spectrum. They care, they lead, and they protect as a shepherd is called to do. And so I want to give them uh, just a specific charge. As we commission you today, I'm going to talk to you now, and you guys can just peek in on this. Um, but you guys know what I'm about to say, but I want us just to let it sink in a little bit more today. So two weeks ago, uh, I talked about 1 Peter 5 and the biblical leader, and we took from that that a, a biblical leader is supposed to be a shepherd. He's supposed to care, love, protect, and lead. He's supposed to be an example. And so we said uh, just a few things, that an elder, and this is what you're stepping into, shouldn't just be over the people or in front of the people, but should be among the people. You're, you're with your people. You're with your flock. 
Uh, An elder is not someone who has to do something, has to lead. It's someone who gets to lead. Uh, 1 Peter 5 talks about willingly, eagerly elders lead. And so believe it or not, I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, but I did not persuade them to do this. This is not the end of a four-year process of me bribing them or blackmailing them (laughs) to, hey, would you be an elder? We really need the help, right? Believe it or not, they said, hey, we want to step into this role. Like, it's going to be hard. Yeah, we want to step in that. By the grace of God and by his power alone, we want to do this. Uh, And then thirdly, uh, a biblical leader, an elder, doesn't lead out of lust for power, but love for people. He, he does so because he wants to love these people that are in this room and more people that aren't in this room yet. And then lastly, the role you're stepping into doesn't just say, follow me, but says, follow me as I follow Jesus. Uh, these men are not perfect men, uh, but they will always lead the way, even if it's in repentance and even if it's in weakness. That's what they're called to do. That's what you are called to do. And so I'm thankful for you. This is a special day for our church as well as myself. And I I, I know that you guys know that. We've been through a lot together, and I'm excited for what's to come. I'm going to ask Pastor Rick to share a few words as well, and then we're going to spend some time praying over these guys. First of all, I want to say it's awesome to be with you guys this morning. To look around the room and see what God's been doing over the last three or four years is just amazing. Because I remember the first time that I met with Tim, and uh, he was, I wasn't going to put the fetal position in there because that's my pastoral yeah, heart, which is keeping me from yeah. going there. But since you brought it up, okay. yeah, that's okay. so Tim was really, he was reeling. And I said, dude, what, what are you going to do? What do you want? And he said, I believe God brought us here to plant a church. That's exactly what we're going to do. I have been impressed with his love for Jesus, his heart for the body of Christ, and his commitment to that call from the very beginning. Also, Jaya, you have been a key part of the voice of God speaking that encouragement to him. Amen. Because I truly believe he wouldn't have had the wherewithal to stay with that had he not known that you were committed to that similarly. But I got to tell you, it's more than Tim and it's more than Jaya. Every person in this room has had a part of God working. Every single person. You have sacrificed. You have used your your time. You've used your abilities. You've contributed financially in so many ways to make this a reality, and God's going to use it going from here. But some of you have been called to lead in a very specific way. That's also a spiritual gift is leadership. And this morning, it's exciting to be a part of this with the commissioning of the elders and their wives that are before you today. And I want to tell you, Tim has seen the, the, the beauty of plurality of leadership for a long time, even before this day. The scriptures teach it. The Lord Jesus, when he sent the apostles out, how did he send them? Two by two. It wasn't just one at a time. You think, well, he could have divided and covered so much more ground. Two by two, he sent them out. And then the apostle Paul told the early churches that were planted, he said, appoint from among yourselves elders, plural. And I think there's a, a beauty in that. There's a wisdom in that. There is, uh, as they say, none of us individually is as smart as all of us collectively. So there's a collective wisdom that's here, which is a huge part of leadership. There's also the encouragement that comes when brothers and sisters are united in a common cause. And there's accountability. 
we know about the importance of accountability to keep our walk with Christ straight. And we know what happens when there are leaders that hold themselves above all accountability. That's not a good place. And not and bad things happen as a result of that. So this morning, that's a part of what's here. And so I just want to echo, uh, it has been a privilege for me. Uh, Tim has asked in the past, even before today, he asked Desert Springs to be a sponsoring church, saying we need the spiritual covering. He asked Caleb Campbell, who's now the senior pastor at Desert Springs, that I handed the baton off to three years ago. And But he asked Caleb and me to come and talk with him about budget issues and ministry issues and major decisions, which has a lot of wisdom. But today marks a historic day. And that's a day in which there's a group of people who are officially commissioned for that role. And I just want to thank you for being a part of that. And guys, thanks for allowing me. And ladies, thanks for allowing me to be a part of this. I so love the time sitting with you guys here in your heart for Jesus and your heart for this work. And, and it's such a privilege to be here this morning. So I, I think you want me to start it off, Tim, and then you're going to conclude in prayer. Can we do that? Yeah. Okay. Father God, I thank you so much for your wisdom establishing men and women to be in leadership roles in the body of Christ in various roles in respective places. But I thank you today in particular for these men whom you have called to share the responsibility and the privilege of leading this fellowship at Phoenix Bible Church. I thank you, Father, for them. I thank you for, for Graham. I thank you for BJ. I thank you for Brad. I thank you for their heart for you, for the fact that they are leading by example already. They are shepherding the flock. And because they have been doing that, we've seen them and, and believe that they uh, are called of you to continue that in a more formal fashion. And I pray that you would give them the wisdom that comes from above. I pray that you would give them the courage to follow you in faith. And I pray, Father, that you would protect them from the evil one, guard them, guard their families, as you, and guard the flock as a result. Thank you, Father, for this. And I also want to pray for their wives. I want to pray for, for Savannah. I want to pray for, um, for Jess. I also want to pray for Alicia, that you would lead them, that you would help them to be supportive, even as you have used Jaya in Tim's life and as you've used Emily in my life. Father, I pray that you would encourage them and that they might know that they are priority in their husband's life and in their family's life, but also thank you for their willingness to sacrifice and to support them in those days and times when their husband has to be away from them and away from their family and even brings things home that weighs on them deeply. So Father, I just thank you for these these individual men and for their wives that are supporting them and for the leadership that they collectively are providing for this church. And I pray that you will use them in a mighty way to point people to Jesus and help them grow in him so that others can do so as well. Thank you, Father, for this. I'm going to ask this in Jesus' name. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you uh, for these men and their wives, for their kids. Uh, I thank you for the people in this room. Uh, I thank you for the, the beauty of the diverse, unified church. God, that is, that's what we're a part of here, that even the brand new person who walks in today, that's what they would be stepping into, is just, you've created uh, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, to, to function and to glorify you, and to edify others, and to bring uh, even ourselves joy, and so many others joy as well. And so God, I pray that this would just be another step in that process, that um, God, as we, as we formally 
commission these leaders who've already been leading and serving and caring and loving in multiple ways as we formally do that. Uh, God, I do pray for them. I pray uh, protection over them. I pray for those uh, amazing days where uh, people are coming to know Jesus and getting baptized and our church is growing, uh, but also those hard days when there's conflict, where there's not an easy answer, where there's divorce and there's the destruction from sin, um, and it just, it just gets messy. And God, I pray that you would sustain them in those days as well. And I pray, God, that uh, you would um, empower them uh, to lead and to grow, that we're all still in process, that you would empower them in the ways they need to grow, and, and we would grow together as a team, uh, all with the goal of honoring you first and foremost, uh, but also encouraging and shepherding your body. Uh, this is your church, not my church. It's not Phoenix Bible Church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And so, God, may we uh, lead them well, and I'm so excited for, for how you're going to do that and work in so many ways. And, God, I pray that there would be men and women in this room who would be, after this service is over, lined up uh, to talk to these guys and to talk to their wives, to pray with them, to speak a word of blessing over them, and just come alongside them. God, this is not something uh, they can just do by themselves. We need a, a church family to come together uh, to see your mission of making disciples of Jesus move forward. And so, God, I pray for our congregation, for these men and women in this room, that they would, uh, that they would continue just to be such an amazing group of people and love uh, these leaders and support them well. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you uh, for his person and work, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Would you clap for them one more time? You guys can take a seat. Thank you. And they look good, don't they? I mean, they dressed up nice and just went to a whole nother level. So we appreciate that for sure. Uh, we are going to get into God's Word. So grab a Bible, Mark chapter 5. Uh, we read through the long narrative, but we're going to take a look more intently at it now. And so grab that with me. We'll have it on the screen, but we'd love for you to get it in front of you. Uh, today is going to be a little bit different. This is narrative form of scripture. And so we're going to see a lot of things happen. And so what I'm going to invite you to do today is really just to walk along in the text with me. We're going to read the Bible together. And we're going to pull out what we believe God is saying through it uh, to us. Later on, we'll talk about really two specific practical ways. But we're just going to see what's going on in this story. Uh, what is God doing? So look at it with me. Uh, Mark chapter 5. Um, we start out in verse 21. And we're introduced to a guy named Jairus. And before we get all the way in there, what you need to know is some context, because I know some of us are new. Um, the Gospel of Mark was the earliest gospel written by Mark with the help of uh, the Apostle Peter. It was written 20 to 40 years after the life of Jesus, and it was one of the most credible uh, writings we have. Ancient historical literature, 20 to 40 years after something happened, is, is super helpful because you have eyewitnesses that would still be around, that could collaborate with Mark and help him write this, Peter being one of those people. But um, it's a credible story that we have of lots of activity going on. We see that as we're introduced to a guy named Jairus. So that's our, our first interaction today. Look at verse 22 with me. We see Jairus is a ruler of a synagogue. Now, here's what that means. He's kind of like a pastor, uh, but even more than that, he would have been a respected leader 
probably wealthy uh, status, a person of status, a person of religion that people would have known about in the community, that is Jairus. But we realize quickly all his status, all his power, all his prestige, it goes out the window as he falls at the feet of Jesus. And he falls at the feet of Jesus because he says, my little daughter is at the point of death. Now, I'm a dad, have three kids, I have two little daughters, and I can't think of a more tragic phrase than my little daughter is dying. But that's where this man is. All this prestige, well-known in the community, but in this moment, he's just like anybody else. He falls at the feet of Jesus because his little girl is dying. That's the scene we come to. Verse 23, look at that with me. Because this is the scene, because this is what he's experiencing, he implores Jesus earnestly. earnestly rather. Now, I know we don't have intonation, we don't have nonverbals, but you should picture a man that is desperate for help. He, he's laid before Jesus, he, he's probably crying out for help, and he says specifically, come and lay hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And it says Jesus goes with him. But again, try to picture this moment with me. It wouldn't just be Jesus and Jairus making a beeline, taking a nice little stroll to his little girl. Now we see there's not just a crowd here, there's a great crowd. Right? So you, what you need to picture is Jesus with this prestigious man who's really broken in this moment, and they're walking together, and there's Roosevelt Row on First Friday. Right, there's five o'clock traffic, right? And they're trying to knife, little girl dying. The most tragic thing you could think about, a little girl who's dying, and yet you have Jesus and Jairus who have to get to that little girl before she dies, and it's not just a clear aisle. They have to navigate and knife through all this traffic, all this great crowd, not just a crowd, this great crowd of people. So, so here's the drama of the moment. Dire situation, can't get more dire than a little girl dying. She's not supposed to die yet. Right? Little girl dying, big crowd, can we make it there in time? But the odds are stacked against us. Can we get to her in time? Can Jesus actually save her? That's the moment. But then Mark keeps us on our toes. Look at verse 25, and it says, seemingly randomly, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and then he starts to give a little bit more of her medical history. And Again, try to put this, we're trying to read the text and just put ourselves in this story. Try to imagine that scene, this great crowd, little girl dying, trying to knife through to get to the little girl. And then you have a woman been sick for a long time. It had to have been a little bit frustrating for people around who were seeing this happen, friends of Jairus's who thought, okay, there's a little girl dying, what's with the woman who's been sick for 12 years? Like, why aren't we taking a sidestep for that? It, it had to have been a little bit frustrating for them. As we're reading this, like, like a movie or a show you're watching where there's a suspenseful, dramatic moment, and your, your eyes are focused on that, and all of a sudden it switches to something else, that's got to be a little bit frustrating, frustrating for us as we read this. I think about there's shows and movies like this, but The Walking Dead is notorious for this. If you've ever seen The Walking Dead, you don't have to go watch it, but just let me tell you about it. It's notorious for this, um, this huge scene, this dramatic scene, this suspenseful, crucial scene, like everybody's about to die, right? But what happens? Rick Grimes 
happens. He shows up on the scene, and he's going to save everybody, right? He's got the plan. He's got the resource. He's going to save everybody, and he's going to kill Negan, right? It's going to happen, and you, you show up to this suspenseful scene, and you're watching it, and you're like, this is amazing. What's going to happen? Can he really save all these people? And you're like, I think he can. He's Rick Grimes. He's going to do it. Can he really take out the enemy? Yeah, I think he's going to do it. But how is he going to do it? What's going to happen? And then all of a sudden, in that suspenseful moment, they switch to a character development story. Somebody completely else, like not really involved with this scene, but just somebody else in the show. And they're they're typically, it's like when they were a kid and they're frolicking through lilies in a field and they had daddy issues. And you're just like, you're watching and you're just like, no. Like, what about this suspenseful, dramatic scene? Like, is he going to save everybody? Why are we talking about this person from 20 years ago? That's what's happening in this moment. That's the sidestep that Mark is taking. That's the sidestep that's occurring in this scene. And if they had been frustrated, and you might be frustrated reading this or watching this, imagine the dad of the little girl who's dying, right? At this point, as we read the story He doesn't know the background of this woman. We see a little bit later, she explains the truth. She tells the truth about her situation. At this point, he doesn't know. But what he does know is he just left a little girl who may not make it, his daughter. He just left her to come to Jesus. And in his mind, he sees this woman who, I don't know what's going on with her, but she's not dying in a bed like my little girl is. She's, she's able to walk. In fact, she's able to walk and knife through the same crowd we're trying to knife through to get somewhere. She's able to walk. She seems okay. Jesus, why don't we stop it, right? I mean, Dad, just imagine if, if you have a little girl, even just any kids at all, imagine being at the ER and, and your little girl, your little son is at the point of death. And you rush him in there, and you're wondering if he'll make it. The surgeon gets ready to start doing his work. And then all of a sudden, somebody else comes in. They seem to be fine. And the surgeon puts down his scalpel and says, hey, how are you doing? Oh, what's wrong? Oh, is that, do you have a little boo-boo? Oh, let me put a Band-Aid on that. What kind of Band-Aid would you like? Paw Patrol? <laughs> Snoopy? Like, you're the dad in that ER room. What are you doing? Like, some of you are more spiritual than I am, but I would be yelling some things, right? I would be suing some doctors, right? That's almost malpractice, like bad triage at the very least, right? Like, you don't help the person who's been sick for a long time before you help the little girl who is on the brink of death. Imagine the scene as as Jairus is interacting with this. What's he got to be feeling? But something we've said over the last few weeks is true probably more than ever in this specific story. And that's, we've said that Jesus is loving enough to care, but he's also powerful enough to act. But he's also wise enough to know when, to know how. And, And we don't see that yet, and Jairus doesn't see that yet, but he has to trust that. So a little bit later, Jesus says to Jairus, like, Don't fear, just believe. And some of you today, you've experienced situations like this where something seems extreme in your life. 
Maybe it is physical sickness. Maybe it is a financial stress and situation that just won't go away in your life. And you're thinking, that is the most important thing possible. Like, Jesus, I need your help with that. Like, Jesus, my marriage, it's about to go divorce. My, my job, I'm about to get canned. My health, really plummeting. And, and you're like, Jesus, could you do something about this? And Jesus steps to the side and says, hey, what about that, that sin in your life? Hey, are you really spending time with me or are you just checking off a Bible reading on your app, on your phone? And Jesus says, hey, hey what about this anger in your life? I mean, you, you kind of been just letting that fester over here. and let's, let's address that. And you're like, Jesus, anger and my Bible reading time and like, what about my divorce? And what about this sickness? And what about... I need money to pay rent. And you're talking about, Jesus, this doesn't matter as much as this. And it's in those moments, just like Jairus would have had to do, you have to trust, Jesus, you are loving enough to care. You're powerful enough to act. But you're also wise enough to know how and to know when. That's the moment that they're in. And we see Jesus' wisdom as we're introduced more to this woman, that this little girl had been dying. But this woman that's bleeding, her soul had been dying for 12 years. And Jesus knows that. And so in his wisdom, he begins to engage this woman. We learn, look at the verse with me, verse 26. She didn't just have a condition, she had a condition that got worse under many physicians. She had spent all the money she had had and was no better, but in fact grew worse. This is when you have a problem with your car and you take it into the mechanic and you drive away and you think, oh, that's fixed now, and you hear some clanking. And something else is wrong. And then you start to think, why did I take it to the mechanic to begin with? Or when you go to the doctor and you think, I have something wrong with me, but then you are around sick people and you get way sicker. And you're like, why do I go to the hospital? Why do I even bother? This is what has happened to this woman, except it's happened over 12 years. She's not just hurting, she's hopeless. And not just because of her situation and the doctor interactions, she's hopeless because of her condition itself. That a woman who was bleeding in that culture, especially for this long, was an outcast, ceremonially unclean. You couldn't touch her. Most likely, scholars believe she would have been uh, excommunicated from the synagogue, she would have been shut out from the temple. Her old friends would have abandoned her. She may have even had to divorce her husband because of this condition that she's had for 12 years. So she's not just hurting. She's hopeless. She's not dying physically, but her soul has been dying for as long as she can remember. And so Jesus, in his wisdom and his love and his power, he addresses this woman. And it's interesting, if you look at it, it says, she touches his garment, the outer robe of Jesus. And immediately, both the woman and Jesus know something happened, right? It says that Jesus immediately, he feels the power come out of him. The woman immediately was healed. The blood dries up, she is healed. Now, as I read that, I thought, again, just in the progression of the story, okay, we have these two different scenes, and this Jesus is wise, he knows what he's doing, and he's gonna heal this woman. Well, she's healed. Problem solved, let's go help the save the dying little girl. Let's go back to that. But Jesus says, no, I'm not done yet. Verse 31, Jesus says, who touched me? Now, I love the disciples' logical response to that, don't you? Who, who touched you? 
Jesus, there's not just a crowd. Remember, Mark's very descriptive. There's a great crowd. Jesus, who touched you? Everyone. Like you're rubbing shoulders with people. You're trying to knife through a crowd to get somewhere in a hurry. Everyone has touched you. Who touched you? Disciples, just being logical. But then this broken woman falls at Jesus' feet. And everybody realizes who touched Jesus. She begins to explain her situation. And so now Jairus has some context. The disciples have some context. Okay, Jesus, this is what you're doing. You are wise. And Jesus' response is fascinating. He says to her, verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the only time in the gospels where Jesus calls someone daughter. Think about who this is that he's calling daughter. Not the little daughter that's dying, who has a dad who's well-respected in the community. He gets to her. Before he gets to her, this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, outcast, probably had to divorce her husband. Nobody notices her. Nobody pays attention to her except for to tell her to move on about her way. And Jesus says, daughter. He says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. We get this amazing moment. You see the wisdom, the power, the love of Jesus. You see faith, you see peace, you see healing. And you start to understand, okay, Jesus, this is what you're doing. Jesus knows what he's doing. And you have this amazing moment and people around, maybe they clapped. Maybe they were like, yes, this is what Jesus was doing. Okay, Jesus, we love you. Like, we're not gonna question you anymore, even though we probably will as the disciples, because that's what we do. But this amazing moment, but then we switch back to the other scene to another tragic moment. It's even more tragic. Verse 35, look at the verse. We find out this little girl, no longer at the point of death, she is dead. They say, hey, don't bother the teacher anymore. Don't bother Jesus anymore. It's already too late. And while we don't get Jairus' response here, we see a little bit later the response of everybody else that knew this little girl and knew Jairus. What are they doing? Weeping and wailing, crying out. There's commotion. And so I don't know what Jairus was, was feeling and how he was responding in this moment, but Jesus did, and Jesus again says, hey, don't fear, just believe. And he gets to the house, and he takes this little girl, this little daughter, by the hand, and he says, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And notice the power of this moment. Verse 32, 42, rather, it says, immediately the girl got up and began walking. Remember a couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus' power over the storm, and when we saw that, that, he, that he didn't just like make the, the storm stop, and then the wave slowly died down hours later, but that it said in the Gospel of Mark, and there was a great calm over the whole sea. No waves. It was a great calm. We see the same thing here. A girl who was almost dead now dies and, and all Jesus has to do is say, little girl, it's time to wake up. Arise. And she doesn't wake up groggy. She doesn't wake up and, Ugh! She immediately starts walking. That, that word immediately, Mark really likes that word. He uses it 40 plus times in the Gospel of Mark. Immediately. Jesus says, tell Akumi, little girl, arise. And she's like, I'm just, Take a stroll. 
That's the power of Jesus, not just over a storm, over Satan, as we saw last week, but over sickness, even death. He says, get her something to eat. I don't know if that would be the first thing I would do if my daughter just got raised back to life. Like, get her some Cheerios now. (laughs) Right? But that's what Jesus does. And that's why, listen, that's why he could say, hey, don't be afraid, Jairus. Just believe. Because he can cash that check. Right? Jesus is powerful over storms. He can calm the sea. Jesus is powerful over Satan. He can cast out a legion of demons, as we saw last week. Jesus is powerful over death. And again, he's loving enough to care, powerful enough to act. He's wise enough to know how and when, because in this moment, we get something Jesus hasn't done to this point. He raises somebody from death to life. He gives people a picture. Hey, I didn't just come to heal diseases and do a lot of cool miracles. I came to bring people from death to life. That I'm going to go to the cross and go from death to life. This is why I came, and we see it in this picture of a little girl. And if he hadn't stopped to heal this outcast of a woman, and for everybody to be like, Jesus, what are you doing? There's a little girl dying. If he hadn't stopped, not only would that woman not be fully healed, not just in her physical ailments, but in her soul, but we wouldn't get to see this this depiction of the whole reason why Jesus came to bring people from death to life, to take on the sin of the whole world, to die, but not stay dead, to rise again in victory over Satan's sin, death, and the grave. Jesus is loving enough to care. He's powerful enough to act. He's also wise enough to know how and when. And we see that on display. So, a lot going on in this story. What do we take away from this? Lots of things. If you're taking notes, you could write these things down. Uh, Patience. The patience Jairus is learning in this moment to trust God, not just when your project needs to go in at work, not just when your, your kid is a little sick or has the sniffles, But when your little girl is on the verge of death, trust me, Jesus is teaching patience. He's teaching trust. He's teaching, hey, make time for people. The religious leader, the the business leader who makes a lot of money and who comes into church and dresses nice and puts on the blazer and who everybody knows in the community, hey, don't just say hi to him and how are you doing and how can we get you involved in the church, but go to the person across the aisle that nobody's talking to. The person who, we don't need, like, should they be here right now? They're probably thinking, should I be here right now? Am I like these people? Hey, don't just go to the leader, the well-off, the person of status. You go to the person that nobody else wants to go to. You make time for people. That you sacrifice for people. That you love people. Lots of things we could take away. I just want to give you two as we close. Again, you can write these things down. The first one is this, that no matter your status, your situation is the same. No matter your status, your situation is the same. That was true for everybody in that crowd and everybody here today. No matter our status, our situation is the same. It's broken. You see it last week with the demonic. You see it today with Jairus and the devout. You see it with the diseased. They all do something similar. They all fall down at the feet of Jesus that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that that somebody well-known in the community, that somebody that's an outcast, they fall at Jesus' feet. Last week, the crazy, naked, demon-possessed man falls at Jesus' feet. 
the religious leader falls at Jesus' feet. That no matter your status, your situation is the same. Do you believe that? That in this room, we have a room full of broken people. We got some elders. We got some people that this is your first time in church in a long time. Broken. No matter your title at work, no matter what people call you at the parties you go to and how they see you or don't see you, we're broken. And some of you could think, well, Tim, I came to be encouraged today. Thank you. But you need to know that's the most encouraging thing you could ever hear today. Because you know the kind of people God uses? Broken people. There's no other kind. Amen? God uses broken people because that's all there is. You see that in scripture, the only perfect person God ever used was his son, Jesus. Everybody else was broken. Now some were kings, some were peasants. They were both broken. And so be encouraged today, you're broken, but God can use your brokenness for beautiful things. That's what he does in the story, that's what he does for your life. Second thing, no matter your condition, Your calling is the same. One key thing you see with a woman is that Jesus had bigger plans for her than just simply physical healing because he knew she needed more than that. Think about this. Say the story stopped with the woman at her touching his garment. Immediately, remember immediately, Mark's favorite word, immediately she's healed, the blood had dried up. Jesus is sovereign, he could have known that. Physically, she was healed. He didn't have to say, hey, hang on a second, who touched me? And the disciples were like, who touched you, Jesus? Come on, everybody touched you. And like do that whole thing and her explain herself and talk about faith and peace and healing. He didn't have to do all that. She touched his garment and her physical ailment for 12 years was healed. She could have walked away pain relieved, sickness gone. Praise God, right? That could have happened. That would have healed the physical pain. What about the pain in her soul? What about the the time she was shut out from the temple when she tried to go up there? What about that marriage that she used to have that now is a divorce? How's that gonna heal? Jesus knew she needed more than just physical healing. And so he addresses her directly. I wonder when the last time that happened was. Where somebody said to her, Hey, how are you doing? Let alone, hey, daughter. I wonder when the last time someone religious spoke to her. Someone at the temple actually said, hey, hey, can I get you something? I mean, you can't stay here, but can I get you some soup, something to drink or something like that? Like, I wonder when the last time that happened. In this moment, she's not speaking to a religious leader. She's speaking to God in the flesh. He addresses her. Could he have let her just touch his garment, go away, and be healed? Yeah, but he knows she needs more than that. He addresses her, and in a moment, gives her dignity and value as an image bearer of God. Probably some dignity and value she lost and forgot she had, right? He not only does that, he calls her daughter. He transforms transforms her identity from outcast to part of the family, not just halfway, not just to a foster home. He says, "Your, your daughter, I'm adopting you into the family of God. He completely transforms, transforms her identity. He says, go in peace. And peace, not just the absence of conflict, but hold union with God. Again, something she hadn't known in years. He says, go in peace. 
And she has an encounter with God Almighty in the flesh after she hadn't encountered anyone for 12 years. Now, I don't know what that must be like, but I remember one time going to Germany for a summer and being around a lot of people I didn't know, speaking a language I didn't know. And I remember coming back from that trip in Germany and just sitting down and having a conversation in English with somebody was like a cool glass of water, right? And it was like two months. And I was just like, oh, I can have a conversation with somebody. Somebody can talk in a language that I know. We can have interaction with one another. This woman hadn't had that for 12 years. And Jesus knew, you need more than just to touch my garment, physical healing. You need holistic healing. Jesus isn't just out to heal diseases, to heal physical sickness. He's out to transform the person. And so he takes the time because he's loving enough to care. He's powerful enough to act. He's wise enough to know how and when. And this is true for you and Jesus. This morning, that whatever you're dealing with, whether it's the crisis moment of, man, it just seems like we're at the point of death here. Maybe not literally, but just like things aren't going well. Jesus, we need you. Come quickly. Or if it's just something like, man, this is just who I am, something I've been dealing with for 12 years. I mean, Jesus, I don't even want attention. I'm just gonna come up and grab your garment. I mean, just maybe I'll come in and sit in church today and just sing and pray, and maybe I'll get some healing just by osmosis, and I'll leave today and go to lunch. Wherever you are today, Jesus is loving enough to care, and he's powerful enough to act, and he's wise enough to know how and when with your situation. Whether this is your first Sunday or whether you're an elder of a church, we're broken people in need of a beautiful Savior, and he's here to help you. Will you trust him? Don't fear, just believe. Let's do that now as we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this story that we get to see just two opposite people at the end of the spectrums and just see how you meet both of them where they are. God, help us to See, we're, we're, we're one of those people, we're in between those people, but God, we have a brokenness and we need you to heal it. And maybe it's not a sickness, but maybe it's a spiritual sickness. Maybe it's sin that we just can't let go of. Maybe it's a relational conflict. God, whatever the case may be, God, I pray that now we would give that to you. That you, you come alongside us, you allow us not just to touch your garment, but to have an, a close, intimate interaction with you. And you, you allow us to do that now. And so God, I pray that we would take advantage of that moment and we would see your love and power and wisdom on display, not just in a story 2,000 years ago, but in our lives today. God, help us to see that and walk in that. Help us to trust you. Give us the patience when everything around us doesn't make sense. That God, you are, are loving, you are powerful, and you are wise. God, we need your help. We're desperate, just like Jairus, just like the woman, just like the guy from last week. And so we just fall at our feet this morning and ask for your help. It's in the name of Jesus we pray that. Amen.